Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as we have uh, said and sung and seen and prayed together already this morning, it is the first week of Advent, the season when the church remembers, uh, as Pastor Dan has already told us, that God has come to us and he will come to us again. Uh, it is about waiting between uh, all that is already and all that is not yet. This year uh, for Advent, we want to read and talk together about those things that God brings when he comes. These are things that were planted uh, as good, strong seeds. When Jesus first came, they are growing uh, quietly and patiently and sometimes unseen right now. But when he comes again, they will be among the towering trees that shade the kingdom of God. The gifts that God brings when he comes are long. That list is long. And this year we're going to talk about justice, peace, hope, and light. We'll begin this morning by talking about justice. And I'm going to read from Psalm 94 for us. It is one of those psalms that could take the varnish off the furniture. Let me read it for us. It's printed in your order of worship. You can follow along there if you'd like. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous. And the upright in heart will follow it. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that as we uh, think about this word that we've just read and heard together, that you would draw us more closely to the word who came and bore our flesh. (laughs) Who's seated with you now, praying for people like us. Show us how much you love us in him and change us by that love. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, back in uh, early October, uh, there was a handwritten note slipped under the windshield wiper uh, blade on my car in front of my house. Uh, I've gotten a few of those kind of notes over the years. Uh, You never quite know what you're going to see when you open up one of those notes. It's always a little exciting, a little bit nerve-wracking to unfold that thing and read it. But I love this note, and I just want to read it for you. This is the whole note. This is what was under the wiper blade of my car. Hi, I just wanted to leave this note for the sake of courtesy. While backing up my vehicle, I had bumped my back bumper to your front, even though there was so much room. 
which is completely my mistake slash fault. I'm sorry. From the looks of it, neither vehicle received damages, but I still want to inform you of my fault. If you feel the need to talk about it or have any other concern, my number is. And then it had the phone number, and then my neighbor had signed their initials to this note. And my favorite part of that note was actually uh, a part that was scratched out. Originally, the line that said, if you feel the need to talk about it, originally that line said, if you feel the need to chew me out. <laughs> but they thought better of that phrase for whatever reason, and they, they scratched it out. I have to say there was no damage at all to my car. If there was, it was so small that my eyes couldn't pick it up. This letter is for sure the best letter uh, that I have ever gotten under the wiper blade of my car in all my years of living in this fine city. And I would go so far as to say it was, uh, it was even a little bit heartwarming to me. And uh, maybe you heard it like that too when I read it. And I want to ask why. why. Why did I take some, uh, some cheer in this letter? Why did I keep this letter? And I guess the simplest way I can express it is to say that this letter seemed right. <laughs> it was right. However quirkily it was expressed, it expressed things the way they should be. Where stuff that isn't right gets acknowledged and where an effort is made to set those things right again. Where stuff that is not right gets acknowledged and an effort is made to set them right again. Do you know what those things are called in Scripture? They are called justice and righteousness. In Scripture, justice is, is legal equity. It's the fair impartial administration of the law. It is about the right use of power and the right use of authority. But in Scripture, justice is pretty much never alone. It's almost always paired with its sister, righteousness. Righteousness in Scripture is the word for the relational application of justice, for living it out. It's showing fidelity in our flesh and blood to the relational demands that justice obligates us to, like being impartial in relationships and standing up for those who are being wronged and using what power or what resources we might have not to get one over on others, but for the good of others. And when both of those things are happening, when justice and righteousness are happening, what we experience is things the way they should be. Things seem right to us. And we don't need anyone to teach us how to feel that way because every one of us, every human being has been made for that. The whole created order has been made for that. Psalm 89 says justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And of course, when those things aren't happening together, we absolutely know things are not right. And that is a lot of time in this broken world. We see it all around us every day. Sometimes we are the recipients of injustice, and sometimes, even though we don't like to say it, we are the perpetrators or the beneficiaries of it. And church, that's precisely why we need the prayer and the promise of Psalm 94. Justice, the psalm writer says in verse 15, justice will return to the righteous. When God comes... He brings justice. 
So here's, here's how the psalm starts. O Lord, O God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, and repay to the proud what they deserve. This uh, language, this uh, is the kind of language that I was referring to when I, when I said this psalm feels like it could strip varnish off furniture. We, uh, we're not used to hearing this kind of language. This title for God appears only here in the Old Testament. I think it's meant to be jarring. I think it's meant to rattle us. We aren't used to thinking of God as the God of vengeance, and so it is worth thinking about for a few moments. And the first thing I think that's very important to hear is that the psalm writer does not say God is the God of revenge. That's important because revenge is something altogether different, isn't it? Revenge is usually an act of passion. It's One of the characteristics of revenge is that it's not a measured thing. But an avenger, an avenger restores justice. An avenger enforces justice. That is the measurement for the avenger. The measurement is what is right. We have all all kinds of words, a whole constellation of words in the English language to uh, approximate that. Words like redress and requital, and remedy. Um, But none of them quite have the sting of the word vengeance. And I think maybe the songwriter chose it to match the deep pain of the wounds that are being experienced by God's people. You can read about that pain in in verses 5 and 6. They crush your people, O Yahweh. They afflict your heritage. They kill the widow, and they kill the sojourner, and they murder the fatherless. Now, we don't know the details that the psalm writer has in mind, but the Old Testament is full of examples. Just read the prophets. For instance, you could read Amos 5 this afternoon and get a really good picture of the kind of thing that was happening. The psalm is not about foreign nations coming in and marauding and doing damage. This is about the rulers of God's people marauding and doing damage. In church, there is nothing subtle. There's nothing nuanced. There is nothing complicated about this kind of thing. Injustice, whenever it happens and wherever it happens, is always some played out version of the same tired song again and again. The powerful know that they can get one over on those who are weaker and gain some advantage from it. And so they do. The powerful ones know they can get one over on the weaker ones and get an advantage. And so they do. And this happens everywhere, every day. On playgrounds. In the executive offices of banks in the executive offices of public utilities, in the halls of the parliaments of the world, in city halls and town halls, on the streets of our cities, around dinner tables, in classrooms, in churches, on campuses, everywhere. Sometimes uh, it's played out on a large scale with wars and armed conflicts. And sometimes it's played out in more civilized setting with, with laws and fiats and verdicts from courtrooms. And sometimes it's played out in the most intimate and personal of settings with whispered threats and fists. 
O Lord, O Lord, how long? How long does the wicked exalt? Church, at first and at its heart, Psalm 94 is a prayer. It is a prayer of lament. Lament is when we tell God in whatever halting words we have, in, in, in our imperfect language, in our desperate pleas, lament is when we tell God with all of the ways that we can muster that this is not right. This is not right. And lament is for our good, church. <laughs> I can't say that enough. Lament is for our good. Lament can save us from falling apart under the weight Lament weakens the kind of fury that humans feel that corrodes their own humanity. Lament weakens our desire to get revenge ourselves. Lament reminds us that we are not alone in a broken place. Lament enables us to see clearly the things that we can do instead of being overcome and overwhelmed by all of the things that we cannot do. I mean, church, there's no generation that's ever walked the face of this earth that knows more of the horrors going on in this world than we do. Especially those of you who are young. You are connected to it all the time in every way and it's cast to you through the lenses of of rage and shock. And no human heart is meant to take it all in. And I'm telling you, no human heart can take it all in. And that's why we need lament so, so desperately. It's such a sweet remedy that God has given us because lament lays all of the stuff at the feet of the one who can take all of that on board and who has promised that he would, unequivocally promised that he will take it all on board. And when we lament, here's what happens. Proper faithful lament grows the virtues of patience and steadfastness in people like us. It does. Makes us stronger people. Proper faithful lament allows us to direct our energies towards those injustices that are proximate to us that we have the ability to work against. Proper and faithful lament allows us to direct our resources and our opportunities and our talents and our gifts towards those places where justice and righteousness need to flourish right around us and all of the other things we give to God. Even even some of those things we have to give to God. We trust him. And in that trust, lament reorients us to the true story of the world. In verse 7, the psalm writer quotes that short horizon, that kind of really short horizon thinking of the people who want to work injustice or who do work injustice. They say the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob doesn't perceive. And church, that's not true. Verses 8 through 11 are all about that. They're cast in the terms of wisdom. They're cast around an appeal For fools to become wise. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who made the eye, does he not see? He who teaches men knowledge, he knows the thoughts of man. Now, I don't know if the psalm writer imagines when he says that they're saying that God doesn't see. I don't know if he imagines that they think that he, that they think that God really can't see them. Or if it's more of a functional thing like God, you know, if he exists. He probably isn't interested or he's so far behind, so delayed on things that it's not really going to matter. I don't know, but I do know 
I do know that the fundamental difference between the wise and the foolish in Scripture is that the wise person lives their whole life indexed to the presence of God, and the foolish person does not. And the truth is that kind of uh, unmindful faithlessness leads to an illusion of power in people. I mean, if we imagine ourselves to be the only authority that matters in a given place, there's almost nothing we won't try to pull off with a fantasy of impunity. It's the oldest sin in the book, really being our own little gods. It's a temptation I think all of us face daily in one way or another. And so this part of Psalm 94 is a reminder that we, we don't have to be labeled dictator or criminal or marauder to be among those who fail to attend to justice and righteousness. Anytime we work an angle to our own advantage at the detriment of another, then that's us. And Psalm 94 is a reminder to people like us, and it's a warning, and it's an incredibly gracious invitation, an invitation to turn away from that in whatever form that angle working takes in our lives and to turn back towards Jesus in repentance and faith. It is an invitation, a gracious one, for simple people to become wise. <laughs> And this is where the prayer of Psalm 94, the prayer that we really need, turns towards the promise that we absolutely need just as much. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the one you discipline, O Lord. Blessed is the one you teach out of your law. Psalm writer means discipline here, not in the sense of punishment, but in the sense of teaching, of discipling. Discipling and teaching us things like how to pray prayers of lament so that the virtues of patience and steadfastness can grow in us, teaching us, discipling us in the wisdom that delayed justice, delayed justice, does not mean that justice will never come. And these things, like all of our learning, they're not just meant to be facts bumping around in our heads, just stuff that we know, more stuff we know. They're supposed to sink down into us and give us life. That is precisely what the psalm writer says in verse 13. This is all meant to give us rest in days of trouble. It's not some pie-in-the-sky promise of rest at some later date in the future. That is rest right now in the middle of trouble while we lament. That is rest right now in the middle of trouble while we work to do justice and righteousness. It is rest right now, rest right now in the middle of trouble where we work to weaken injustice in whatever way we can. It is rest right now until, as the uh, psalm writer puts it so arrestingly, a pit is dug for the wicked. Because that day is for sure coming. Yahweh will not forsake his people, the song says. Justice will return to the righteous. And that day has dawned, church. <laughs> it's already here. It dawned with the sound of one who cried in the wilderness. He who is coming after me is mightier than I. His winnowing fork is in his hand. 
And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. When God comes, he brings justice. And when he comes again, perfect justice will be all that anyone sees anywhere. And the psalm writer and even John the Baptist, the one who cried in the wilderness and said Jesus was coming, there's no way, there's no way they could have known. There's no way they could have imagined the means by which that lasting justice would be secured. (laughs) But we know. We know that Jesus has taken all of the injustice of the world, including yours and mine, on his back, and he did it undeserved in love. He bore it to the cross, and the cross is where he broke injustice by being broken under it. And he numbered the days of its power at the cross, and those days are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's the truth to which his resurrection and ascension testify. When God comes, he brings justice. And when he comes again, perfect justice will be all that anyone sees anywhere. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for songs of lament that teach us, that build steadfastness and trust in us. And we remember your apostle, your apostle Paul said, as far as it's up to us, we're not to be the people who avenge. We live peaceably with all as far as it is up to us, and we leave the rest to you, which is to say, we trust you. So help us to trust you. Help us to lean on Jesus, the one who broke the power of injustice and the one who will one day put it away forever. Help us to cling to him so that we could grow in our own faith and so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray it in his name. Amen.